0: 1221. It's on page 8 in your worship folders. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the second verse is James 1, chapter thir- uh, verse 13 to 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continuing, oh, sorry, guys. It's all right. No, that's my fault. I should have turned it on to begin with. We're continuing in our series of Fear Not, and we've come to the place last week when we were talking about um, fearing God, that in fact God is mighty and holy and pure, that that God is high and lifted up, and that in this world we need a God like that. We need a God who is all-powerful, who is mighty, who is true, and so in that we do fear God. We come to him not only with respect and reverence, but we come to him knowing, being terrified with a holy terror that God is the one who can take all the things in this world earth, earth that drive us crazy, that are broken, and he is the one that can mend it. But at the end of that, we still sometimes have this question because there's this gnawing in the back of our head that we know the way the world is going. We know the way the world is going around us. We know the way the world is going in our own hearts. And we can go, yeah, yeah, but what about? But what about evil? What about those things that are out there that just really seem to stand against this idea that God is mighty? And it's a question that gets asked over and over and over again from many people, both those who are believers and and those who aren't, both those that are following Christ and, and those who don't want to have anything to do with Christ. They say, if their God was so mighty and so loving, then why does evil persist in the world? So I think it'd be good for us to take a look at that. Now, I need to be honest with you. This is not a really in-depth, deep dive, because you can't do that in 22 minutes. And that's what we're trying to to hit here. But it is an overview and a look about this high. Now, it's something that definitely we can have conversations about and we can continue to talk through. But today, know that we're going to do this sort of over, trying to dig deep within it later, okay? Does that make sense? And it would also be good for us to define kind of what we're thinking about when we think of evil. So, there's that sense of natural evil. Those things that happen in the world like typhoons and hurricanes, those things that are outside of any control and aren't because of any action necessarily from a particular person or a particular person group that take place in this world that come in that destroy, that maim, like bushfires, all those kind of things. Now they might've gotten started by somebody else, but the way that it takes over, Right. And that's that idea of of natural evil. We know that's evil. Why? Because it is a destruction of life, right? We see it and we go, that's a destruction of life. That's not good. Life is good. Flourishing is good. And something in the outside world that's causing that to end is a natural evil. And we might not have any blame for that, but often people will say, look, if God was good, then why does he let that happen? The second thing we have is a moral evil. It's that idea of one person making a choice to do something against somebody else, to to hurt them, to break them, to abuse them. It's that place of elevating my desires over the other person's desires in a way that keeps them from being able to flourish. And that's that idea of moral evil. And we see that happen in our own lives. We see that happen around us. And when we see it, we can say, if God was so good, why does he let that person do those things? Why doesn't he stop that? And then we get to that place of radical evil that place where because of a group of people or a system that has been built, it is so turned on itself and away from the glory of God that was created before the foundation of the world. The thing that we're supposed to be walking in, the thing that we're created to be living in, this group of people or this system has been built in order to wreak havoc on the world. And so when we think of radical evil, we can think of, of Nazis, we can think of uh, systematic injustice that takes place, we can Think about stealing kids away from families and putting them in other places for their own good. And when we can see that and we, and we hear it, we go, hey, look, if God was so good, then why does he let that happen? What goes on with that? And when we understand that idea of natural evil, moral evil, and radical evil, when it comes to humanness, the things that we can control, the things that we're a part of, we begin to recognize that evil is in fact a corruption of being. That God created us in some form and fashion, knowing who we were, wanting us to be for his good, for his glory, and then for our good. And in our brokenness... We corrupt our being, and that becomes evil. But C.S. Lewis is interesting when he thinks about this. He says this, When I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So the question about evil and why it continues to happen has a presupposition in it that there is good, right? See, we could never define evil as something that is against good unless we had an idea of what good is what it is based on, and who created that. And so we look back and go, when we ask the question about what is evil, it automatically turns us to face God, the mighty one, The Holy One who defines and created the world for his good pleasure. When God created the world back in Genesis, it tells us this. That when he looked at it, he said, it is good. It wasn't evil. And then Adam and Eve stepped in and they had an aberration. They they did something that was against their goodness. And in doing this, they unleashed the brokenness of the world. The corruption of being that begins to spread out over and over and over again. This gigantic ripple effect that we now are caught in. And so then we see God beginning to move into that place and saying, I need to walk along with humanity to bring them back to the place that I desire them to be. And in some sense, we want to go, God, if you were smart, you would have done it like that. But God is bigger and smarter than us, and he knows how to engage with evil and brokenness in a way that we do not. You might not be like me. In a lot of ways, I hope you're not like me. But there are places when I begin to hear folks saying, but what about, wouldn't a loving God not allow this to happen? Oftentimes, that thing that they're seeing that they're causing them to ask that question is either, one, a tragic event that has happened in the world, you know, cosmically, and, and a flood, bushfires, a, a pandemic, or it is something that is happening to them directly a tragedy that has befallen them, a a place that has hurt, a diagnosis that they were surprised, a death that came suddenly, right? And so we have to be able to admit to ourselves that more often than not, when things are going okay in the way that we think they should be going, we don't worry about evil or whether God is around. But when something happens whether globally tragic enough that it makes the news and they're talking about it all the time, or personally that affects us, then our question becomes, where are you, God? But often we don't know how to express it in that way. And so it's easier to say, why is there evil? Here's the problem, though. In our society, we continue to diminish what evil is. We continue to recognize that the brokenness of the world is there, but what we've done is taken the brokenness of the world and we've made it smaller. We've diminished it. We've done that by loving horror movies. Now, don't get me wrong. I love horror movies. But death and mangling and scaring, and we're like, yes, that's fun. That's good fun. No, it's evil. Death is never good fun. Yet we diminish it, right? We say, oh, but that's not that bad. We begin to diminish it when we use it to dehumanize people that don't agree with us. If you don't agree with me, you're evil. Right? You're supposed to do this. You're evil. You're supposed to do this. You're evil if you don't. Right? Listen, I don't want to get super political. And here's the reason why. Because we have folks from every walk of life that gathers together here. But in the ether, in the outside, in the places like Facebook and Twitter and all those things that give us our news and knowledge, what we see happening is this great division over multiple issues. And what ends up happening is people move from the place of saying we have a disagreement here to saying because you disagree with me on this you are evil and I am good and by doing that we diminish evil and like last week if we continue to domesticate God make him smaller than what he should be and we diminish evil, we are bound for bondage. So we have to step into this place recognizing when we're asking the question of what about evil, the question of our heart that is crying out is, where are you, God? It is still a question longing to be seen and to know a God who is mighty and strong and able to overcome. And we see that's what God does. The two verses that I gave you today, there's Romans and there's James. We're actually going to just take a little idea from the book of James first, and then we're going to go to Romans. The reason why is I want to think of them as like bookends. As we discuss evil, James 1, 13 through 14 reminds us that we cannot say that we're tempted by God because God does not tempt from evil and God has no evil in him. He himself cannot be tempted and does not possess any evil. So what that means is when brokenness in this this world, even though God is sovereign and providential and mighty, is he is not the creator or the originator of that evil. Right? He's not the one who has stepped in. However, what we recognize is that created beings, starting with Adam and Eve and continuing on, continue to choose their own selves over the glory of God and corrupting their being in a way that causes there to be suffering and harm. Probably even so, leading to natural evil. Because of the way that we've lived. That the whole earth is broken and it cries out for restoration. Restoration. And in that, then God, over and over and over again, as we look through the spans of the whole of Scripture, is continuing to walk into those places and bring about healing, bring about mercy. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here and saying, yes, but that's not happening for me. (laughs) I know. But hold on. So first we recognize that God is good. That he is moving in a way to bring about wholeness and completion. N.T. Wright puts it this way in his book about justice and evil and God. He says this project, the earth, is a matter of setting the existing creation to right. Rather than scrapping it and doing something else instead. So God creates the world, it is good, sin comes into the world and breaks it, and instead of just demolishing it, he holds on to it and says, I will work in the brokenness. Could have just, let's start again. When Noah and the flood comes, he should have said, I, I, could, I don't need Noah, I'll just wipe everybody out and I'll just start again. He doesn't. He says it's not about scrapping it and doing something else instead. God decides for that reason to work through human beings as they are. Even though their hearts think only of evil and though Israel itself, when we see with Abraham, even through Abraham onwards, they make as many mistakes as they do acts of obedience. That somehow God in his goodness is recognizing the need to walk through not to circumvent his creation. He goes on to say, somehow, strangely, and to us sometimes even annoyingly, the creator God will not simply abolish evil from his world. That, of course, is the question that swirls around all discussions. Why not? He says this, we're not given an answer. We are instead informed in Scripture in no uncertain terms that God will contain evil, that he will restrain it, that he will prevent it from doing its worst, and that he will even on occasion use the malice of other human beings to further his own strange purposes. That there are times that the evil in the world, God takes and transforms so mightily that it causes us to see his glory even more. He takes our darkness and he makes it light. How amazing is that? And so we recognize that God himself is not evil. He cannot bring about evil, but he recognizes that evil is in the world. He knows that it is there, that there's this place that we continue to corrupt our being. And he says, I will take care of it. And ultimately, we know this, that he does it by coming as himself, as Jesus Christ, to step into the broken world and create newness. He can't sit back and wait. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus, God incarnate, while he's on the earth, gave some teachings. One of those teachings is found in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. There's Bibles in front of you if you want to take a moment to grab it and look at it. I'll give you a second. Let me read it to you. Matthew 13. It's called the parable of the weeds. And it says, and he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not, did, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. There's a place here that we see God through Jesus letting us know that there are moments and times he recognizes that there is evil that is growing up. And he knows that if I pluck it now, if I come in and I cause it to be dramatically taken away, just like we're crying out for, that it will uproot us as well. It could shake our faith, that faith that's caused us to cry out. It could pull us out of the nutrients of the kingdom of God. That we could accidentally be broken in the process even more than we already are. That I must protect them even in the midst of that evil, knowing that in the end I will take care of it completely. How amazing is that? And here's the way that it happens. Jesus comes and he suffers and he dies. The ultimate consequence of evil is suffering. And instead of saying, I'll do away with the evil so you don't have to suffer, he says, God says, I will suffer. So that when you suffer, I will walk with you. See, Jesus, as N.T. Wright says in his book, suffers the full consequence of evil. Evil from political, social, cultural, personal, moral, religious, and spiritual angles all rolled into one. Evil in the downward spiral hurtling towards the pit of destruction and despair. And he does so precisely as an act of redemption, of taking the downward fall and exhausting it, so that there may be a new creation, a new covenant, forgiveness, freedom, and hope. Evil has been defeated, but it cannot be uprooted yet. And we wait for the final act so that the destruction of evil is revealed. Not that it happens then, but it's that it's revealed, that it's already done. And in the meantime, we suffer immensely because of evil around us. And God suffered most. God walks with us in that And he provides the ultimate demonstration of love and justice for us in Christ's self-sacrificing act on the cross. How amazing is it for us to know that when we cry out, why are you letting evil happen? It is a cry of our heart to say, where are you? And God shouts from the mountaintops, I am here with you. I have overcome this and will continue to overcome it. It is completely done and I will reveal it soon. We long for that day. We want that day. Not from this aspect, though, of going, we'll just kind of sit back and let it come. That's not what we're called to do. Let's go to that Romans passage. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a call to us as those who are in Christ. That's a call to us who recognize that the world is evil. That we are not those who domesticate God. We are not those who diminish evil. We say it is out to get you. However, we know that the good that God has done has overcome that evil. And so we are active participants walking in that place. So when somebody in your life says, why has not God gotten rid of evil? You say he has, and I'm here to help you see it. Because I know in that question you're crying out for God. Your heart aches to know and be heard and we know God already has he's heard us and he's come so what about evil all evil is present and it is here and it's growing alongside the kingdom of God but we are the ones who grow even stronger next to it as the pure wheat so that that field is beautiful this 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 week, um, with the change of weather, I'm discovering again an injury that I have in my eye. It happens on occasion. Uh, now, when one of my children was a younger younger child, and I was holding them in the back of the chapel of our church, they were kind of looking at me and wanted to touch my face lovingly because I'm. So nice to look at. Their little finger went right into my eye and scratched my my cornea. Just, Just like that. Now, I'm an unwise individual and I didn't think much of it, even though I really couldn't open my eye, and so I drove a two and a half hour trip with my eye closed, staring into the sun. And I drove back uh, that same day, uh, not being wise about my eye and thinking I should probably do something about this. Maybe go see somebody. I was like, it's just a scratch. It's not that big of a deal. Until I went the next day to the doctor when I really couldn't open my eye and it kept watering. And And he said, um, why did you do what you did? You could have permanently damaged this permanently damage this. Here's some ointment. I want you to put it on. Wear this, wear this patch. You have it for a couple of weeks, and, and then we'll see where you're at. But I, I'm telling you, you could have permanently damaged your eye. Now I didn't permanently damage my eye. I, there's not a scratch. I don't see a scratch. I, don't, I, I see just, well, I don't see as fine as I used to. When I moved to Australia, I had 20-20 vision, but we won't talk about that. Here's the thing, though. If I were to go look at a doctor and ask them, they'd go, oh, yeah, your eye looks fine. It's great. But <laughs> when pollen acts up or the weather changes and I start getting a little bit of a head cold, I can feel in my eye <laughs> this scratch that's really no longer there. It wouldn't be seen, but it, I can feel it. There's this place where it just doesn't quite get you know, as lubricated as the rest of my eyeball. And so it gets dried out. If I could say anything, that's like the world for us. God has accomplished. It is complete. It is 100%. Done. Evil is defeated. Death has been overcome. The grave has nothing on us. We stand in victory. Sometimes we feel the pain, and that's why God says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We step into that place knowing the reality and walking together in that reality, encouraging one another to, yes, acknowledge and feel the pain, but step through it knowing that it is completely healed. Let me pray. What is it that people needed to hear, Lord, that's what you know, and so we leave that to you. What is it that the hearts needed to, to be overcome with, that's up to you. So if any of this stuff, these words were from you, let them be those words. And if they aren't, let them burn up. Let them blow away. Let them pass out of their minds very quickly. Let them not even remember one word. But if they are yours, let them take root. Let us recognize the cry against evil is a cry to know you and to worship you. Teach our hearts to do that. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.